Hello and you're very welcome everyone to the week that really was for this week ending the 28th of July 2023. It's Thursday evening the 27th when we're recording this. Um, it's about a quarter past eight. Sarah joins me as ever from Dublin. You've had an eventful day, Sarah. You spent most of it in the hospital. <laughs> I did. Well, yesterday and today, our little Connor, our wild child, knocked uh one of his teeth clean out the canine tooth he was running and he fell creamed his face off a box that was in the garden that he uses to collect rainfall and um so it's not that he collects rainfall he collects water in this you know those ikea big plastic boxes they use yes. for storage yeah. he has one of them out there and one of his many things is kind of making like you know soups of mud and water and stuff and so he has this out there. And anyway, he tripped and creamed his face off the corner of it. Knocked his canine tooth clean out. I've never seen anything like it. The full root. Did you see that picture I sent you? The length of it. The yes. whole thing. Like his dad is a dentist who's in a WhatsApp group with loads of other dentists. And he put into it. And no one had ever seen anyone knock their canine tooth clean out. Because it's obviously on the side. And like you really have to hit it at a certain angle to get that thing to come like out like that. But anyway. He's a pioneer. So, oh, he's a wild thing. Anyway, he split his, he cut his face as well. So I, his dad was happy to put paper stitches on it and leave but I wasn't because he already has a scar on his face um, up on his forehead from one of his other adventures. So Keith brought him into Temple Street last night and uh, they had a look at him and then um, they booked him in for a plastic surgeon this morning. So he was back in this morning and to be fair, it was all very good. Like it was all very um, efficient and in and out like Keith brought him in last night at eight o'clock and he was home by ten like we live in Malloy so is he, very, is, uh, is he delighted with himself now to be the centre of attention yeah he was the centre of attention and then about an hour ago his brother got stung by a wasp so that's still oh, his daughter no. well, we're having one of those couple of days of just like accidents and chaos he'll have to one up he'll have to one up the brother again so just watch out my mother used to say these things come in threes, so just be... Well, their sister has been that. sick all week. She has a virus and she had a rash. and Oh, so I'm wrecked um, from all of that. I'm like, just... And also, like, your mouth, like, all that kind of stuff, like, it bleeds so much and it's really traumatic. And, like, I have to try and... and I'm not, like, bad, at, like, with blood or anything, but, like, you know, like, it's you're still your baby, so I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be mm -hmm. cool. And luckily Keith was there when it happened and Keith brought him into another room and then Keith came out because I get very upset about facial scarring, you know, like, because yeah. like, and Keith's real like, oh, girls dig scars, it's grand. And I'm like, it's not grand. So he came out and he was like, okay, so the tooth is gone. You have to come in and just be calm. And like, mm -hmm. so I was like, ha, ah, hello, yeah, buddy, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then today when the, they were doing all the stitches, they needed stitches on the inside and on the outside and uh they give him laughing gas and uh whatever it's called not nitrate and uh then uh, nitrous second, oxide isn't it nitrous oxide that's mm. it and um no he was gas like he was kept taking the mask off to tell them stories and whatever but uh no it was it was brilliant but i'm just much happier when i'm getting a plastic surgeon to look at it because i just still think chicks might dig scars but you know come on yeah, mothers he's only, don't. By the way, he's only four. Like, you know what I mean? It's a long life. Like, we'll be lucky if he doesn't need a full set of Delph in his mouth by the time he's 18 <laughs> at this rate. I like, he has three teeth on the other side that are all like grey because he's had different accidents with them. You think he would have knocked one of them out? No, he knocks a perfectly fine one on the other side out. Sounds like he's oh, going to be a God. fearless rugby player. Oh, look, he's, he's made for rugby. He's as tough. <laughs> he is as tough. If his brother, if that had been his brother, like his brother, his older brother, he would have dined out of that for a week. He would have been lying on the couch. He would have been traumatized. And Connor does not care. Off he runs. He's honestly, he's tougher than me. Like, <laughs> gas kid. Well, as rough a week as you've had on the kids' front, you haven't had the worst week because no one stole your gold. <laughs> Oh my um, god. We have to talk about this. Um It was like a movie. A little bit briefly. Look. It's one of those things. I mean, I, I, I can't make head nor tail of it. I, I am baffled. 
I was told during the week that I was wrong to be baffled about where they would get 400 grand in gold. But people said, oh, well, look, they have raised it from members and all the rest of it. I, I can tell you, I worked in, in politics for a long time, and it's very, very difficult to raise yeah. four grand, let alone 40 grand, let alone 400. And I am not on this show going to cast aspersions or anything, but I think there is a legitimate question to be asked about how in the first place you accumulate that much financing for a party that 4,700 4, votes nationwide at the last election. But aside from all that, the drama of it, um, I suspect yeah. there's some kind of palace coup underway inside the party. I, I don't know what's happening there, but it was it provided a day's entertainment for the country, which is, if you are so, I know we have people who listen to this program, I want to say, who really believe in the cause of Irish nationalism and have been convinced that parties like that one are the best vehicle for it. Um, this kind of disorganization does not bode well for getting more than 4,700 votes at the next election. That's all I'll oh, say. Oh, well, hold on. Hold, hold on then. Hold on. So, first of all, why, maybe this is, well, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why is it in gold? Like, why wouldn't it just be in cash? Well, to, like, to hedge against the collapse of fiat currency is what we were told. But, yeah. but why wouldn't you put it in Bitcoin then? It's easier well, to access, and and I mean, I know it's it, it, it's a little bit volatile, but gold is volatile, right? Gold goes up and down, fluctuates depending on the output of South African mines and all sorts of things. Bitcoin over the last five, ten years has been a pretty, it's been the sort of non-fiat currency of choice. And also, I mean, you might think there's a collapse of fiat currency coming, but it ain't coming for a long while. It's bizarre. Well, I mean, I don't know about that, but like, I think... Like, I, I think a few things. Like, I, when I first broke, I was kind of like, you know, uh, like, the somebody stealing the party's money is obviously going to raise the heckles of people who run the party and they were right, rightfully outraged. But the whole thing just reminded me very much of, like, Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade or something. Like, it was like, it was like a movie. Mm. Um, and, yeah, like, you're right. Like, 400 grand is a serious serious wedge of money um but it's been returned isn't that right no it's been i believe the guardie have it so oh. they they located it and took possession of it they're not investigating a crime but my understanding is that they need to determine who is the rightful owner of the gold to decide to whom to return it essentially that's the that's the current position there's no there's no accusation that this gold was stolen it appears to be an internal dispute amongst the one time three top individuals in the party about who has the right to have possession of it. That seems to be... The, oh, so it's a leadership crux. kind of thing. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the crux of the matter. But like, even as a, a, a leadership thing, um, I mean, if you're a candidate for this party at the next election, aside from all the other questions you're going to get, you're going to have to knock on doors and tell people vote for a radical alternative. Yeah, that we're, we're the guys with the gold. I mean, it's it's just. I mean, I I want to say this. I want to say this because I do want to say this seriously. Because there are a lot of people out there who read Gript and uh, are disgusted with the state of Irish politics and are looking for a radical change. And to those people, I would just say, get serious. This is not serious. This is codology. This is this is no way to build an alternative movement. You are kidding yourselves if you think this is the future. You can like me for saying that. You can call me a sellout. It's the truth. If you are are signing yourself up to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom as a political strategy, which is what this is, I mean, just go and figure yourself out. Um, because that's, but, that's not well, going I to think work. That's actually a bit, I think that's a bit unfair now. Because really, like, we don't really know. But, I mean, this could be the actions of one or two, like, you know, people within the party going off on but, some tangent. And, you know, okay, the fact that it's in gold in the first place, you know, is a bit off. I've was three ordinary three ordinary members. I'd buy that, but these are three people at the top. This is the this is the leadership. These are the yeah, but they're obviously trying to take ones. Trying to, two of them are trying to take the other out, or whatever's going on there. Something, but like, uh, uh, I mean, I like I, I don't I I don't really know. I'd like to have more information about what's going on there. I think that on the on the backdrop of me being unbelievably disillusioned with all of the other parties myself as well. I'm kind of like, oh, 
so hot. Like, why is why is it any more crazy? Like the gold story. Why is that any more crazy than some of the stuff that's been going on for the last couple of years? You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. I, I found I I found I found this week like the last week some of the stuff I read and some of the kind of like posturing from all parties about all of a sudden about the state of you know the city center or whatever just a bit kind of wearing to be honest because mm -hmm. everybody knows that that's been a problem for two years and now because an american got the head boxed off off them like you, you, now all of a sudden you're taking you're paying attention now because america is saying that like people americans should be aware of the, their personal safety when they go to dublin city center now it's okay now all of a sudden uh, all the politicians are out huffing and puffing about the state of the state of the city center and they had, didn't give a tuppenny damn about it for the last two years it's all just a bit like so gold and whatever i mean at this point like let's just call the whole thing off sure, look i i agree I, I i i agree with almost everything you said there i do i just think that serious alternative movements need serious leadership and, and it's not on display at the moment yeah but i don't think but, but okay fine and like maybe that's true like or you're right to a point what i'm thinking is that that when you say when you're saying, "Oh, this," if you're looking for the new thing, and you're, and, you know, this isn't serious, but none of them are at the moment. So it's like, well, who's serious? Yeah, fair point. Fair point. No, I will. I will take my take. Actually, my... Do you know, to be fair, I, I, I take that back. There are certain individuals who are serious, and I think Pat or Tobin is serious, and I think there's people who are serious, but collectively, none of them are serious. Mm. Well, we like the, Pat or... the, 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 the yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, but like. I just think like this is this is what this is the point that I was trying to make a couple of weeks ago when we had William on yes. from um, which is that like people people are tired of the same old same old they like they don't they're they're not like you're not you're like they're not going to take you seriously when you just keep saying the same stuff over and over again and they get to a point where they just go well let's have a go on the crazy person because ultimately what difference does it make and at this point what difference does it make if you vote for the guys who are fighting over gold or the guys who are fighting over whether or not uh, you know a, a a man like can say he has a will when he doesn't or whatever <laughs> well we'll get to that in a second because I had so I spent some time at Patter to be in this week at an event. Um, but before that, I, I, we really should mention the the other big thing that happened this week, which was the passing of Sinead O'Connor, who kind of, I think, was was the voice of our kind of childhoods. Like, uh, she, like nothing compares to you. It was kind of 1990 when you and I were kind of first, I suppose, becoming aware that music was a thing and existed and, you know, there were pop stars and what have you. So it feels like a, a fairly significant cultural moment, and the media are certainly going to town on it because there isn't much else. Much else in the news at the moment um but what are your thoughts like obviously i think it's really sad and like you're right she was a big part of that like growing up and that song in particular i just like you know it's one of those songs that never never doesn't pack a punch you know when you hear it mm -hmm. but i also think that like she's kind of she's symbolic of love i like on my my social media fe like feeds were full of different people saying different things and she obviously meant a lot of a lot to people particularly women and one of the things i was struck by is, is particularly in the last couple of years you know like her obviously her son died by suicide about 18 months ago and and as a parent myself i think that that's i am i don't want to imagine too hard but like unsurvivable mm -hmm. um but i think that she's also a demonstration of how you know ultimately like we are constantly talk people talking about mental health this and mental health that and you know people's mental health but she's a good example of how like mental health issues like and re really like bad mental health issues it's not packaged up in a nice palette you know easy to digest box when it when it's put in front of you it's it can be ugly and it can be you know like very difficult to deal with and face and she was like i saw her on um she was on dr phil and she did these different interviews and like she was obviously a very very troubled woman but uh, putting up things on the internet and like talking about mental health like it's not you know i just think like people talk a good game about mental health but they don't really know how to deal with it when it's 
right in front of them. And I think for the last couple of years, she's been, you know, put on TV and, and shown a lot when she maybe shouldn't have been. And yeah. it, there was a kind of a, there's a kind of a, like a, it's like a voyeurism to that kind of thing. And ultimately, like, I still think that we're a long way to go on really not having a maturity and an understanding about how to deal with that kind of mental health struggle when it's presented to us. Because I don't think that she's done a service um, in that way. Uh, I keep coming back to the video for Nothing Compares to You. That's what I've been thinking about when I think about Sinead O'Connor over the last day or two. And that video is famous because it's a close-up shot of her face as she's singing the song. And yeah. uh, halfway through the song, she starts crying. Yeah. And the video, if you think about it, is the appeal of the video, why it's so powerful, is that you're looking straight into the eyes of somebody who's suffering. That's yeah. what makes the song so impactful. There's, there's yeah. This person is tortured by loss or tortured yeah. by whatever's going on in their head. And I kind yeah. of feel that sums up her entire life. Um, yeah. And particularly the way the public interacted with her, that um, the media very much made her illness, and, and I, I, I'm not using the word illness in a derogatory sense, because there are lots of people yeah. who suffer as she did, but they made her illness kind of the focal point of her as a person. And I, I imagine that for somebody like that, I mean, people don't get into show business unless they kind of like the spotlight. That's, you know, yeah. very shy people rarely become musicians it, it, or, or, or stage actors. It tends to be people who, on some level, like the acclaim and like the popularity and all the rest of it. And I imagine it must be very difficult to recover from a mental health problem when the media is always there telling you to come on and talk about your mental health problem. And make your kind of uh your your struggles a, a story for people to look upon as if you're a suffering person i think back to i mean there's so many things that happened that we've forgotten like do you remember when she was a priest she was ordained a priest in 1999 and took, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and took a new name and then the word all all these things and i kind of feel like her whole life was kind of made into um what's that very good movie where uh the lad is stuck in the TV show. Um, Truman Show? The Truman Show, yeah. The, the, I think there's an element of that with Sinead O'Connor's kind of struggles, and they were all laid out for us. Um, and I think it must be very hard to recover from that when you have a tendency uh, or uh, the option always to talk about it. Um, that's what I think. Uh, maybe that's not a fully coherent thought, but I think there's something, I think there's some truth to it. Yeah, it just, like, ultimately, everything I ever saw, particularly in the last kind of 10 years, just the word was suffering. Mm -hmm. There was a huge amount of suffering there. And hopefully she's at peace. Like, it's really sad and it's sad for her family. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I think when her son died, I thought, if you're already suffering, how do you even survive that? Well, I remember she posted a tweet uh, in the week afterwards and that no one should no one should hold it against her or anyone else because the pain she was suffering was obviously immense. But I remember her posting a tweet basically saying, I feel like I want to go and join him. And I remember there was oh, a yeah. kind of thing. Remember everyone on Twitter kind of going, oh, no, Sinead, hang on. And I think the guard you were called and all that sort of stuff. So he clearly had had those thoughts. We have no idea, obviously, how she died. But there was clearly an immense amount of mental anguish and suffering there that any parent, I think, as you just said, would understand. So it was very sad. Yeah. Yes. It's very sad. Um, it's very hard to do a link from that into our next topic, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I do want to talk a little bit this week about an event that I attended on Tuesday night in Dublin in the National Boxing uh, Stadium in Tala, which is organized by the All Nations Church, which is an evangelical church in Dublin. It wasn't a religious event. It was an information evening for parents about the new sex education curriculum. And I was astonished, Sarah, by the attendance. There were easily a thousand people at it. Um, speakers were myself and Pater Tobin, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, along with the barrister, um, Grace Sullivan, just to walk through and talk to people about what's in the curriculum, because people don't, you know, there was huge hung hunger, hunger to find out, a huge concern. And I was struck by, like, there's more people in that room than definitely more people in that room than were at, for example, the Labour Party Ardesh a couple of months ago. Um, and there was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> that wouldn't be hard. I was just about forty jokes there that came to mind. Oh, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be hard. But the Labour Party Ardesh got half an hour on prime time on RTE uh, for Ivanovic's speech. As it, uh, to, be fair, to be fair, they're legally obliged to do that. But this one, uh, this event didn't make the news at all. Um, and you know, if this, we hear a lot in the country about kind of like the rise of extremism and blah blah blah. The, the, these people who were here there were not extremists; they were ordinary parents. Now, some of them were religious, some of them were members of the church. I get that, but not everybody was there. And and for all that, it was an event organised by, for example, the All Nations Church. The, the imam of the local mosque was there. There's a big Muslim presence. There was a substantial presence of people who, um, David Quinn, who's in the audience, called them New Irish, but essentially uh, first-generation immigrants, people from Africa, Eastern Europe, um, couple people from South America. Like it, was, it, was very, it was very interesting to see um, people who you wouldn't normally put as sort of a conservative and in inverted commas event showing up about this topic. Yeah, no, I think it sparked the imagination of quite a number of different groups of people. I, I was waiting for you to talk about, you know, what the crowd was like, because that was my going to be my question. Like, what were that was the crowd like? I think that the 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 changes to the education curriculum for young people vis-a-vis -vis any kind of trans or gender stuff has been a huge mistake. I think it has lit a fire underneath people and made people like certainly in my friend group active, like activated their, you know, activated their activism um, mm. in a way, in, in specifically or particularly in people that I am friends with that I would have never expected to care or to get active or get incensed about anything like that so as, 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 as bad as those people think this curriculum is sarah it's worse like because i was invited to speak at this and i was uh, you know I, I i was surprised to be invited honored to do it but surprised because this is it, it's not really my main area like I, I i edit script i don't do a lot of news reporting but because yeah. i was going to it I, I actually sat down and i read through the new proposed curriculum for senior cycle every parent should read it there's astonishing stuff in there so, for example, like, on page 14, it says that the objective, the objective of the curriculum in respect to gender is to, quote, combat harmful attitudes around gender. Um, now, harmful attitudes around gender are not specified, but it is very clear in the definition sector that they say gender is something that you choose for yourself. So they're basically the objective of the education curriculum is to teach kids that it's harmful to think that being a man and a woman is biological. Um, and that the correct way to think is that it's something that you choose. Like, I, I, that, that it's, it's one of the most radical shifts I think that's ever been proposed uh, in education. And it's it's right there. It's in the curriculum. I'm not lying about it. You can find it on the NCAA website. Um, like, for, for the state to be proposing to teach kids at Leaving Cert that um, it's harmful to think, as people have done for thousands of years, that men and women are born, not made. Um, like, the thing that strikes me is, I think if you if you did a poll of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil TDs and asked them, is John McGurk lying about what's in the curriculum when he says this is in it, most of them would probably say that I'm fibbing. Because I don't yeah, think any of, of, any of them have read it. I don't think they have any idea what's in their own curriculum that Norma Foley is putting forward. And I'll be honest, hand on heart, I don't think Norma Foley knows what's in it. I think this is very clearly been put together um, by the civil servants in conjunction with some of the more radical left-wing L, uh, NGOs, and um, I, I think parents really need to 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 to, to get active on this. Otherwise, uh, it will go through. Like, it's mad that like, you know, people who are the 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 level of control that people who have no accountability and who are nameless have over this kind of stuff. Hmm. So like, I'll give you. I, I'll just give you another example, just for people who maybe. Want to know what's happened because this one this one really sticks with me which is that for the junior cycle so there's a there's a there's a workshop in the curriculum where kids are asked to identify somebody who is gender non-conforming sam smith the singer is given as an example oh my god wait, wait, wait let me let me finish the story right so they, they they ask the kid to identify that person research them research the struggles and challenges they have faced identify any bigotry that they've encountered and then, wait for it, 
be prepared to give a presentation about that person to their class. So they're not only teaching kids this stuff, they're teaching kids to become teachers of everybody else about this stuff. Um, like your kids are being told to become advocates for these ideas. Um, you know, and, and in this case, I mean, Sam Smith is a male-born person who now identifies as, I don't know, something in between male and female, given a particular day. I don't know what it is. But the idea is that your kids are, are not only being taught that you can just randomly choose another gender, they're being asked to make the argument for that to their class. There's no kid who's ever going to be asked in, under this curriculum to make the argument to their class that actually, you know what, you're born a man, you're born a woman. But, but like, so I'm not particularly prudish at all, um, but um, I watched a couple of um, videos a couple of weeks ago of some of Sam Smith's concerts because I knew a couple of his songs and wasn't really aware and then there was this big change and then Sam Smith became, you know, trans or whatever. It's perverse stuff. Like it's really, really, really sexually overt. And I was kind of stunned. And the idea that kids would be, you know, exposed to this kind of stuff, like is yeah this is this is for junior cycle by the way so this is kind of like 12 to 15. but like i mean it's just i don't know like again like i don't care about what sam and I, and this is where i think the point i'm making is that i think that they've gone kind of like made a mistake is that i don't care about sam smith or what sam smith does but i don't want my 12 or 14 year old to be, who's to, their head to be filled with nonsense and Sam Smith and like you know the, the like writhing around on stage with nipple clamps and oh god like it's so like kind of S&M themed kind of like it's not for kids if you want to go to Sam Smith and you're an adult like I don't get it but fill your boots whatever but the idea that this kind of stuff and, and that you're a bigot and that you're, you know, whatever, if you question or ask questions about why your kid would be exposed to this, I mean, this is the thing that's that's galvanizing people about their kids because deep down, they're like, or not deep down, at very much at the surface level, they can feel in their gut that this is not for kids, that kids shouldn't be exposed to this stuff. Well, that's hardwired into us, isn't it? Been hardwired yeah. into us over generations and our natural evolution. Uh, Pastor John Ahern, he, he put it in a sentence. I, I was speaking at the event, I thought, you know, but he was he was much better than I was. And he, he said, I, I mean, he has that preacher's ability to speak plainly and just say things as they are. And he said, frankly, I am suspicious of anybody who wants to talk to kids about sex. Yeah. And, I and mean, you should and you should be. Uh, you should be. I mean, I, 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 I get. It. I mean, I, obviously there are. Except, I mean, I, no one's objecting to biology classes here. No one's objecting to like the square peg goes in the round hole. That's we, we, you and I learned that in biology classes. Um, but like the stuff that we're talking about here is miles beyond that. Miles beyond it. But like I can remember, like for example, being a kid, and um, oh, how do I say this without like? So I have two siblings one brother, one sister. And there was someone my parents' age who took a big interest in one of my siblings, right? And my mum was deeply suspicious of this person. And, like, that person was never, ever, ever allowed to be alone. Or, you know, like, my mum my was 72 years older. She just got the ick about this person and one of my siblings. And it was like, absolutely i'm getting a no feeling and this was just oh yeah we're really good friends kind of vibes so my mom was like you're not friends with a child and mm -hmm. you know and so like that is a natural ingrained feeling that you get like about you know your kids so this whole thing now that you're just supposed to be cool and like okay with your kids being at drag shows and all this kind of overt sexual stuff like I think that people are deeply uncomfortable with it because it's a primal feeling that this isn't right. Hey, and, and if you look at something else that's happening in the country, though, which are these protests at libraries that are happening. Um, there was one in Cork a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
And of course, the official media line is that the people who are protesting want to burn books or whatever it is they want to do. Uh, and they don't. Um, what they want to do is get particular books out of children's sections in libraries. Like some of these books, uh, have you? are you familiar with the, the book called This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson? Very, actually. Very. Very familiar with it. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I am, actually. I haven't read it now, but I've seen I've seen I've seen some of the pages of it, and some of the uh, all. I, and, and by the way, in case anyone wants to have a go at me, you only need to see a few pages of this book to know what it's at. I mean, I don't think we should be giving um, kids from the ages of sort of twelve to fourteen instructions about how to perform oral sex on another man, uh, or or indeed if you're or, 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 or indeed if you're a girl, perform oral sex on a man, or vice versa. I, I don't or, think oral sex was on the mild end of what was in that book. Yeah, but there's a family podcast there. There's a lot more than that. In well, yeah, well, this is a family podcast, John, but like this is a book for children. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't think that there's any, any, like, any, anything wrong with a parent having an issue with their child being taught about, like, the, the most hardcore porn, basically. Yeah, like, that I'm book has got descriptions that are descriptions of acts and themes that I did not hear about or know existed until I was well into my 20s. Yeah, and even then, even then, like... And even then, I thought they were urban legends that no one actually did. Yeah, urban legends, fringe of the fringe stuff. I mean, you know, of the... And let's be frank, of the entire adult population, the number of people who actually engage in some of these activities is a fraction of a fraction. Yeah, and uh, like it's, uh, but that kind of stuff is being taught to kids as kind of normal, something you need to know about at that age. I mean, no kid needs to know about fisting at that age; they don't, um, because it's just not relevant. It's the it's it's the functional equivalent of formalizing what's already happening, which is the kids are increasingly getting their sex ed from Pornhub. Um, and but it's also, but it's also, go ahead. But it's also, but it's also like my argument about porn and like young boys watching porn and I'm just talking about straight, you know, average inverted commas, normal porn, um, was that my argument against that always was that it, it, it young boys being prematurely exposed to that was that it gave them a sense that certain things were, it normalized certain things that, you know, a lot of people weren't doing and it probably or not probably did put young girls under pressure to feel like they had to do things because that was what you did when it wasn't true. And so when you start to introduce some of these acts into a child's book, well, what's that going to do? Yeah. Like, surely that's just an absolute, like, exaggerated form of that. If you're getting a book in school or in the library that's telling you about all these acts, well, of course you think that that's normal. And some of them aren't. Yeah, and I would challenge any, any uh, radio presenter, for example, um, who's talking about these protests at libraries and saying, oh, they're terrible and these books are being banned. If these books are suitable for kids, then read one of them on the air. Oh, yeah. Yeah, read, read, read it. Like, Because I guarantee you the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland would not allow anyone on News Talk or Stay FM or RTE to read some of these books on the airwaves. And yet we're told that they're okay to be in kids' sections in libraries. Because people are terrified to stand up and say this isn't right in case somebody calls them transphobic or something. Because that's all that matters anymore is that like you're 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 not the following. You're not right wing, you're not homophobic, you're not transphobic, you're not a misogynist. Um, and if you're any of those things, well then you're excommunicated from society. Oh, but what it all comes down to is if you disagree with us, you're a bad person. Yeah. And you don't want to be a bad person, so say nothing. That's yeah. that's what it all comes comes down to. Um, but people are starting to care less and less, yeah. myself included. Well, I hope it hurries up because 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 these things do need to be like baited and discussed. And there might well be somebody out there who says, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna try and formulate an argument here, but like they might say, well, kids are being exposed to this stuff in porn anyway. Therefore, it's important to talk through with them in a sort of respectful way in a safe space blah 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 maybe that argument's out there maybe it needs to be responded to i think it's nonsense myself because i think that kind of stuff is a job for parents uh who, who know their kids and can relate to them in a more trusting way than some stranger on the pages of a book but yeah. 
it's perfectly fine to debate this stuff and have a conversation. And if you're a parent who's concerned that this is in your library or the education curriculum is going the wrong way, it is time to speak up rather than being cowed. Yeah. That's what I think. Anyway, two other topics. What were our other topics, Sarah, that we were going to talk about? I wanted to talk about um, a bit about the Guardian having to are writing this article saying that the Gulf Stream was collapsing when it turns out that that's not actually what was true at all. Tell us. Um, so the Guardian had this article during the week. Um, like this is just in the backdrop of like the sheer level of anxiety that the average person, myself included, in fairness, would get about the absolute obsession with the weather. And how do you get, do you get anxious about the weather? I, I never in my life did I, and literally this specific Guardian article, it was like it was posted all over Twitter and whatever. So I saw it, and the headline was Goldstream could collapse as early as twenty twenty five. Study suggests well, that sounds bad. And yeah, and it it did. Like it, I definitely started to just feel like oh god, like you know, like this is starting to get this is starting to like be a bit scary or whatever. So the Gulf, the, the, sorry, just to, for, for, for the benefit of listeners, am I right in thinking the Gulf Stream is the thing that takes warm water from the Caribbean and shunts it up towards Ireland and the UK and stops us having the same climate as Iceland? That's the basic gist of it? That's what the Gulf Stream is? The Gulf Stream is a huge current on the surface of the North Atlantic Ocean carrying about 150 SV water. Um, yeah, it comes from the tropics along the North American coast and heads up to Cape Cod towards Ireland. Okay, It's caused by wind patterns, Blah 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 blah, um, yeah, whatever. But basically, the 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 gist of it is that the next day after this article came out, um, the it turned out that the Guardian was confusing the Gulf Stream with the Atlantic AMOC Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, and basically that they're not the same thing. And it's like comparing a superhighway with a side street. And it's this alarmist stuff that's like the article headline is screaming that the world is ending. And when you actually look into it and like this isn't me saying that climate change doesn't exist or anything like that. But it's about it's the same thing that we did with COVID, which is getting absolutely hysterical, scaring the bejesus out of people and then making it more and more difficult for people to absorb true information later when you're consumed with writing articles that are scaremongering all the time. And it's the same with the temperatures, you know, like it's 50 degrees and it's this and it's that, whatever. Like, you know, like this, I when I looked into it this week, there was loads of articles and loads of other things saying, well, you know, some places have changed the way they're measuring the temperature and it's ground temperature versus air temperature and it didn't used to be. Well, hold on a minute. Like, let's have a conversation about that. What's that? Do you yep. know what I mean? I, I, there's I, none of that. Yeah, completely. Um, and the, the other thing I was going to say is that none of this is new. I mean, I'm old enough to remember. Do you remember after Al Gore lost to George W. Bush in 2000? He went off and became sort of a green messiah and he did these movies. I can't remember what they were called. Um, oh, An Inconvenient Truth. Uh, inconvenient Truth. And I remember Al Gore standing on a stage in front of the world's assembled media and saying if we do not act today um the polar ice caps will be gone the, no to be quote accurately the arctic will be ice free in summer by 2014. well we didn't act and the arctic is not ice free in summer i, I remember going back you go back to like in the 1980s you'll find articles in new in newspapers saying if we don't act new york city will be underwater by the year 2000. well it's not uh, I, do you remember when we were younger, there was the whole thing that Bangladesh would be gone by 2005. Like, I, I'm not saying, and I'm not a scientist, and I, I have no idea whether or not in 15 or 20 years the Gulf Stream will be gone. I suspect it won't on the basis of what you just said. But, like, I do know that we've been fed this bull for years because journalists think that if they can just give us one more fright, we'll finally wake up and go back to living in tree houses. And yeah. I think people, 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 people get periodically interested in it. Like when they say real hot weather in, 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 in the south of Europe, oh, maybe there's something to this. But like I was about to say at the start of the show about Connor collecting his rainfall, that he must not have a shortage of it at the moment. No, I think I saw the other day, um, 
that uh, there's not been more rain in Ireland in a month since January 2020 as there was in July of this year. 500% more rain than an average July. It's been like, relentless. Um, but this time last year, it was actually quite warm. I remember it was like 30 degrees nearly at one point in July last year. And we were told climate change, climate change, climate change. And this year, when it's raining, we're told, oh, well, other countries. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that we've gotten, the media have gotten addicted to the kind of like the hysteria of, you know, anything. Nothing can be like, nothing can be reported in a kind of a, in a sort of a calm way. And it undermines the whole thing. And it just means that people like you, I mean, you've said before, like, you don't listen to RT, you don't watch RT, you don't engage with it at all. And, you know, I don't read The Guardian, but I saw this article or whatever. And like the next time I just won't bother. Because like that's, if they're not doing their due diligence on their own articles, like, mm-hmm. what? you just wouldn't know what to believe anymore. Well, it's also like there's, there's, there's no standard on this stuff. That kind of mistake gets forgiven. I mean, yeah. if, uh, I, imagine if it was, um, if I wrote a piece for Gript, um, misunderstanding some scientific paper about climate change and saying, actually, it's not going to be as bad, and then it turned out that I misread the thing. I mean, I'd have, you know, somebody off to the press council straight away. I, you know, the Gript has no credibility. You know, you're pushing fake news, you're shoving an agenda. Whereas, you know, you always get away with this stuff if your mistakes are in the right direction. So you, you never get yeah, pulled course. up for it if your mistake is that, uh, oh, we said the world is going to burn in November and it didn't. Oops. You know, there's no, it, uh, sorry, the last one is earlier this year, the news talk, and I have loads of time for news talk, I'm relatively regular on their shows, so it's not personal at them, but the, 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 they had two pieces three weeks apart. One was climate change will mean hotter, drier summers in Ireland, and the next one was climate change will mean warmer, wetter summers in Ireland. Uh, uh, these these two articles, which completely contradict each other, were published three weeks apart, and no one cared because as long as you have like climate change will do something bad and unusual, it gets published. Yeah, but it's also like kind of worse because if you make a mistake in an article or whatever, yeah, you're reporting the best thing, but there's a kind of a there's an intent ascribed to that. Yes. Whereas, like, there's a motive. There's like you the 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 narrative would be that gripped had some kind of sinister motive and deliberately and knowingly printed an article knowing that it was false for some particular end. But there's never any motive attributed. Like, so, you know, the article that ended up being fake, you know, in the Irish Times and all stuff, like, the, the little kind of, like, consideration of the motive there. Like, we hear from Michal Martin that, no, we don't want to, cul- or Leo, we don't want a culture war. Well, actually, Printing articles like that, the Irish Times does. And no one ascribes like a motive to that article. It's just, oh, they got con, you know, blah, 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 blah. But when The Guardian, for example, in this case, is printing that, no one talks about maybe a sinister motive, deliberately trying to scare. It's just like, oh, it's just a mistake. We all move on. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very it's very hard to, uh, to sort of stomach. And yet you get so used to it, I kind of roll my eyes out of it at this stage. Just just so used to it. You know, it's it's everywhere. Um and it's not a conspiracy. It is just it's it's literally just journalists writing what they believe to be true. And as long as they believe it to be true, that's fine. Um even if it's not. So some journalist in this case read a line in a report about North Atlantic current might collapse saw the Gulfstream mentioned on the same page and was jeepers, that's a good story, I'm going to print that straight away. Um, and you add that to the fact that the journalists are under pressure to produce three, four pieces of writing a day in some cases. Um, sub-editing has been cut, editorial has been cut across a load of newspapers and this kind of crap gets published. And it was probably mm-hmm. their most read that day because you read it and you don't read The Guardian, right? Yeah, no, it's, it, was multi- it was retweeted across the world. Um, but like, look, it's it's. You're right. You just have to laugh at it sometimes. But at the same time, like, there's that's why it's great that things like Ripped exist because, like, at least somebody's asking the hard questions and and doing the, the work. And like, again, like to go back to what I was saying earlier on, like this week there was all this hand wringing and like all all you saw multiple news outlets talking about. You know, the city centre is like this and the city centre is that. Why weren't you talking about this a few weeks ago? Like, why did you not care about this six months ago? Like, where's the investigative 
kind of, you know, journalism? Where's the passion to find stories that no one else is talking well, about? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The thing to understand about journalism is that it operates on a collective permission structure. So six months ago, no one was allowed to talk about this. Like, if you talked about this, you were saying kind of things that you're not supposed to say. Like, oh, Dublin is unsafe. Maybe the minister's not doing a good job. You know, maybe we have a bit of a gurrier problem. Maybe, God forbid, all the, you know, the, 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 the putting of immigration centres in East Wall and everything, that wasn't a great idea. Maybe, maybe all the methadone tanks aren't a good idea. You said that six months ago, you're a heretic, but there's safety in numbers. So we're all allowed to talk about it now. That's the... That's the other factor there, right? So the, you, you, you can't, you, everyone knows something is true, but no one wants to be the first one to say it. That's a massive thing in Ireland, I think. But there's a kind of a cowardice there that's really depressing. Like, you know, ultimately that like, I'll only talk about things and I'll jump on every bandwagon I can, but I'll never like, you know, go out, go out on a limb and talk about it. And we used to have more politicians who did that. You know, we, we whether you whether whether you politically or ideologically agreed with them, we used to have more politicians who are willing to go out on a limb on an issue. If and Tony, if Tony now, Gregory, if Tony Gregory exactly. was still around, he would have been talking about the state of the inner city um, years ago. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, neither you or I would have been big Tony Gregory fans, right? But no. he, he would have been. Yeah. Um, and like now, it's just like I, you know. Listen, like I don't think I don't think that there's any one answer to the problem with with town, and I think that there's, you know, there's needs more of this, needs more of that, needs more guardy, needs more like more loads of things. But like it's very difficult to stomach the narrative from the minister and you know from the government coming out and saying, oh well, you know, there's a shortage of guardy or whatever. Because as I saw somebody tweeting about this the other day, and it's true, there was no shortage shortage of guardy to be going through your shopping to make sure you had essential items. And to be asking you for your address that you hadn't breached your 2k mm -hmm. limit rule when COVID was going on. So why is there now suddenly a shortage of guardy when people are getting their head boxed in every night of the week? Or just like, this evening, nonsense. just this evening before we came on air, I was looking at footage of um, the protests in Ballybrack about the immigration centre that's apparently or may or may not be going to be an immigration centre there. No one knows because no one has ever told until the last day to prevent there being protests. Right, this is one of the things that happened. Um, so, so, so the protesters in Ballyback might be miles off base. There might not be going to be an immigration centre there, but you can't blame them if they're wrong because if there was going to be one, they wouldn't be told. But in any case, I digress. There are some protests ongoing there, and this evening, uh, looking at the video footage, maybe 30-ish Gardaí landed to round up the ringleaders in inverted commas and take them away in vans. And if they were breaking the law or they were committing <laughs> crimes, fair enough. But like, where are those cops in the city centre where one night during this week there were three serious assaults? Um, where are they when uh, the journal reported yesterday that on Tuesday night in Dublin, 500 calls to the Gardaí went unresponded to? 500. 500? Yep. That's not, that's oh not, God. that's not Grip's reporting. That's the journal's reporting. Um, and the Gardaí, uh, when we asked them about it today, their answer was that not all calls need an immediate response, which is undoubtedly true. Um, of course. But, but 500? Come on. You know, oh, I don't know. Some of those might have been so some of those might have been domestic violence calls. Some of those might have been somebody in the house who was being attacked or in fear of their life from their husband or partner who came home drunk. Um, how does the guardy decide what does and does not need an immediate response? Yeah, like um, even if one in five was legitimate, it's still hundred people. Yeah. There's a like, there's a difference, right? Somebody rings up and says my cat is stuck up a tree. I understand the cat stays up the tree till tomorrow when there's a guard of free. But yeah. you know, I, I, th there aren't five hundred calls of that nature going into the cops every night. Of the week. I don't know. Do you think that? Um, do you think that the government is you know just kind of like slipping into the silly season now and hoping that this will all have died down or do you think that the minister or anybody is actually going to be in any kind of bother about any of this stuff? I think that Fine Gael are still very invested in Helen, Helen McEntee um, because they don't have that many young women who they can put forward as kind of like, you know, representatives of young women within Fine Gael. She's been the poster girl for kind of like progressive feminism within the party and I think to demote her because of the idiot media that we have, would be spun in some circles as kind of like demoting the woman. 
I think that's a problem for them. I mean, they right. they don't have. I mean, do, do do you think I'm wrong there? No, I, I think that's uh, that's uh, that's uh, so. So I think they will defend her to the last man, just as they defended Simon Harris, the last man before the last general election, when uh, there was universal agreement. The doll voted no confidence in him as minister, and that has now all been forgotten. Um, because I think I think they're too invested in 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 her persona as being a vote winner and too blind to notice that she's becoming a vote loser. Um, so I, and and the opposition have been. I mean, I think the opposition are a tough place. Sinn Fein have an aversion that goes back. Um, 30, 40 years to calling for more Gardaí and better funding for Angarda Shiakona. And they've been they've been particularly quiet on this. Um yeah. uh, and you know, which is funny because as a sort of an authoritarian party, you'd think law and order would be one of their things. But I think Sinn Fein, um, there would be there would be some raised eyebrows at a Sinn Fein Ardesh if Mary Lou McDonald stood up and said we need to fund two or three thousand extra Gardaí on the streets of Dublin. So I think they've got issues there. And then you've got Labour and the Sock Dems, both of whom seem to me to take the attitude that, well, if there's crime happening in Dublin, that's because we failed the criminals and society has <laughs> to blame for it. You know, and they, the criminals are the real victims, which is, I think, the ideology that's also taken over the Department of Justice. So, no, I, I'm pessimist. I don't think there'll be any consequences for it at all. I think what will happen is that uh, this will go on for a couple of weeks. There'll be a couple of high profile. I saw the Guardi put tweeting out an image um, the day after the American was assaulted of two Gardaí walking down O'Connell Street with something like Operation uh, Fancy Name is in place now and we're going to be more visible on the street. And they tweeted out a picture, so job done, lads, we can all go home. I think You're that's joking, what... isn't it? Did that actually happen? I missed that. Absolutely happened. Um, so that's, well, that's it sorted. So why is, American, <laughs> why is the American embassy worried? That's yes, right. yeah. it's, um, been, it's been it's been sorted. Well, I think it's one of these things that the Irish political class, right? It, it's it's such a big problem that there's and if there's no quick fix, they don't know what to do. It's not something yeah. they can just throw an extra five million out in the budget and say we solved it. Um, hiring new guardy ain't really going to solve the problem because a that takes time. Like that's a that's a sort of two year project. You know, assuming you you hire a thousand extra trainees this autumn, that's two years before they start appearing on the streets minimum. Um, and even that isn't the problem. I mean, the the the, the sort of because you need to fundamentally change the entire attitude that exists in the inner city. You need to change sentencing. You need more lockups. You need you need basically you need to do what Rudy Giuliani did before he went mad in New York City and go in and in, implement a broken window policy and, and basically declare a war on Gurrierism. And the yeah. Irish political establishment has neither the inclination nor the energy to do that. So yeah. so the best that we're going to get is platitudes. That's what I yeah. think. But maybe I'm a pessimist. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. Wouldn't that be nice, John? It would. Um, so just actually on something small, did you see that um, they announced, the government announced the first free IVF um, scheme in Ireland this week. I did see that. Um, and uh, I saw that. Uh, I, uh, so, a couple of things. Like, I think that um, it's about time that the government offered some assistance to people who are, you know, struggling in that area. It's unbelievably expensive. And um, I think that. Uh, the success rates, unfortunately, for IVF in Ireland is abysmal compared to other uh, European cities. And um, I know a few people who've gone abroad just be for that exact reason. But um, look, it's a good start and everything. But this scheme is really interesting because, or not really interesting, but like they have to limit it. You know, there has to be criteria. That's just the way it goes. So if you're over a certain age and um, you don't qualify, I think it's 40 something. 41. And then. Yeah, and then if you have done IVF before, this seems like really unfair. But if you've done IVF before and paid for it yourself, you don't qualify for a round for free because, and that just seems like so cruel. Because like if you've done IVF, it's failed. You've run out of money. Now you'd also don't get a free one. Um, and then if your BMI is over a certain thing, and I saw people going absolutely insane about the BMI thing. But the truth, the sad truth is that. 
your weight is very much related to your success chances with IVF. And so, you know, like I can kind of see the reasoning behind that. But what I was more struck by was that I one of the LGBTQ groups uh, came out and said that they were, they know, that it was exclusive of for same sex couples and it wasn't fair or whatever. And I just thought, like, God, like, is there anything that isn't made about like it's it's a it's the very first iteration of an IVF scheme for a limited number of people who have to be in an age, you know, a weight, you know, whatever. Like so obviously this is and there's an, and, a, and part of the reason for that, by the way, is that there's a limited amount of money allocated to it. And straight away people like the LGBTQ are offended, you know, people are offended all across the board. And I just thought in fairness, and I wouldn't be once I wouldn't be one for giving for being fair to Stephen Donnelly ever. But in fairness, it's a start. Do you know what I mean? And they're all like they're all like given out. Like it's a start. There are people, I'm friends with people I know who did of IVF. I had a friend who I remember I was on the phone to her one day and her, you know, her med one form her mm-hmm. tax, um, you know, her tax return or whatever, her medical bills for the year were a hundred grand. And she mm-hmm. borrowed, sold her car, borrowed money, gotten money from her parents, from his parents, whatever. Thank God she has two children now. But like, you know, these people, like, it's a start. It's an acknowledgement that there are people, you know, tax paying people out there who are, you know, struggling with fertility. And instead everyone's moaning. Be fair, I was like, guy, at least the guy is making some effort. You know what I mean? He is, like, but some... I, 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 yeah, I, I have uh, two thoughts on this. I mean, the first is that in relation to the limits, I, I can imagine how frustrating it is. I mean, do you know I can't go skydiving? I don't want to be to compare skydiving to uh, to having a child that's nowhere near as serious, but I can't go skydiving because I'm too heavy. The limit of uh, 15 stone. If you're listening to this in the airport and jump out of an airplane, you'd be less than 15 stone. I am above that. I won't say by how much. Not a whole lot, but I'm above that, and I can't go skydiving. Um, so, so, I didn't so, know there was a limit on skydiving. There is. There is because the parish, parish seems pretty. Seems fifteen stone seems pretty low. Like a lot of men are around fifteen stone now. Yeah, but a lot of skydivers are pretty small. I mean, you, 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 the parachutes are designed to bear a certain amount of weight. You know, otherwise you land a bit too heavy, and there can be apparently there can be bad consequences as a result of that. But like you know, there are there are physical limitations that are placed on you in life and uh, unfortunately being overweight leads you to and I say this is somebody who is and has been for a long time overweight I am more likely to die as a heart attack and if I was a woman I'd be less likely to have children that's just an unfortunate reality but my other bigger thought here is I mean th- this is happening because there's such a huge demand for it right and, and there's a huge demand for it because people want to have children that's a natural state of being but I think as a society, we have done people so much harm by telling them that it's okay to wait. I mean, oh, oh totally agree. I, I mean, there's like we also the, tell women that they should freeze their eggs, and that's a that's a bogus. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know who I was talking to about this the other day, but um, two things I found really interesting, and like I know people are going to message me about this and go, well this is bullshit, whatever, but I thought it was interesting. If you, like, you can hate the Kardashians all you like, but I thought, but very often the Kardashians talking about something or 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 introducing something into the zeitgeist is usually a precursor to for it to becoming more mainstream. Well, more people listen to them than listen to me or you. Yeah, exactly. And I noticed two things. The Kardashians have split i don't really understand know what happened but now they have their own show the kardashians it's not keeping up whatever anyway Mm -hmm. and two things came up on that show and one was courtney kardashian saying that she had frozen her eggs and she's currently pregnant but she'd frozen her eggs when she was 36 she had loads of eggs frozen or whatever and now at 40 something when she went to thaw them out and you know have these babies none of them worked she she openly talked on the show I saw it um, about how it didn't work and that women should be told it didn't work and then fascinatingly one of the other Kardashians had a baby by surrogate and she said that she felt very traumatised by the whole experience that there wasn't 
that there was a, a weird like difficulty with bonding with the baby initially but that she something felt very strange about removing the baby from a woman in one room and handing it to her in another and i thought wowza like is that honest level of honesty about surrogacy and i'm not coming down on surrogacy i'm just saying there's a conversation there and the honesty about the egg freezing i think that's an interesting start to being more honest like a couple of years ago companies were considered to be really progressive if they were offering their young female workers, you know, um, egg freezing through their employment benefit schemes, whatever they were. And it's bullshit. Like your rate, the rate of success for a frozen, for freezing your eggs is abysmal. And it's a lie that we tell women. And all you're ever talked about, we're inundated with people talking about unwanted pregnancies and this and that and the other. No one talks to you about your fertility when you're in your 20s and they should it's have, a massive disservice i've met a lot of people uh well, not a lot but but enough people over my lifetime who have experienced an unwanted pregnancy and yeah. i mean th- th- this sounds this is going to sound very pro-life and preaching and i'm not talking about abortion here at all but i have yeah. never met anyone who's had a child and says i wish i, I wish i hadn't had the kid yeah, I mean, maybe if their child grows up to be an axe murderer or something, they might say that, right? But 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 I've never yeah. met anyone who says, "Jeepers, I made a huge mistake by having that child." Never. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone I've ever met who's had a child, um, when they weren't expecting to have a child, has said, "Well, wasn't expecting that. It made things a little bit complicated." But you know, he she is the light of my life. Yeah. And this idea that we tell kids, of the women in particular, that there's a wrong Your time in your life to to have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but not only that your life's over, but even if you don't have an unwanted pregnancy and you're thinking about having kids, that there's a wrong time in your life to do it. Don't do it until you have a house. Don't do it until you have X, Y, and Z. Don't do it till you, you know, even necessarily don't do it till you've met Mr. Right. You know, all, yeah. all, all of that stuff. Um, I, yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, it, it, it leaves so many women. Men aren't affected by this. I mean, yeah, I don't have kids, but. You know, if, if 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 everything was in full working order, I could still have them at sixty. You know, women don't have that option. Um, yeah, and I mean, like I I had my first child at thirty three, and I was, you know, I remember like being in Hollis Street and and thinking, God, like I'm really on the young. You know, when I'd be in the waiting room, like I was, I felt younger, like than most of the people who were in the room. I was the first of my friends, apart from one friend who had a child like as a teenager, and. Um, I was the first of my friends at 33. Now, they all followed pretty soon after. But, like, I had my last th- child at 38, and I had a child at 35. And, like, the the, the, the gas thing is, like, you're considered a geriatric pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, when you're growing up, certainly amongst my friends, you know, everybody would f- assume that they'd be like their mothers. And so, like, my family, my mom, my aunties, they're all super fertile. They had this many kids. But, yeah, they started when they were 20. They didn't start trying to have a baby at 35. And it also means, by the way, it also means, by the way, if you have kids later in, in life, the, the reality is, I mean, so my mother had me when she was 26 and, and I'm, I'm pushing 40 now and she's going to hopefully, if she lives a natural life, she's going to have another 20 years. I mean, I might be 60 by the time she passes on. So she'll get to enjoy, maybe that's the wrong word in my case, but she'll get to experience most of my life. If you have your kids when you're 40, by the time they're 30, you'll be in your 70s. Um, yeah. You know, you're you're, you're cutting off a, a lot of joy in your life by by waiting that long. I think, yeah, there's a conversation that I think needs to happen at a societal level because these decisions tend to get made at an individual level, but societal factors are really influencing them. And I think there's a huge issue there. So I think you're right. The government has gone in the right direction, but it's really only correcting an error, I think, that has kind of crept into our culture. Yeah, like there needs to be a wider thing. And I like I, you know, I had a career like you know different things obviously I've discussed it before and um, before I had kids and then when I started having kids I kind of reached a kind of an end where I didn't want to do what I'd been doing anymore and I become a barrister and mm-hmm. I remember saying to my friend you know like when you think about like this thing of like that you you know this fallacy that we're, we're told that like you know you have to have a career and get your career going before you have kids I was like if I finish, become a, like start working as a barrister when my kids are all like, you know, when the, my youngest child has gone into Montessori, like I'll be 41. Mm-hmm. Like if I retire at the average age, I'll have a 25 year career ahead of me mm-hmm. and I will have had my kids already. 
and I had another career before that. Like this idea of like, they have to do this, they have to do that, you don't. But my parents won't always say, when, when my mom started working, you know, you got a job at the bank, and the bank was great because it was a, a job for life and all this. That's all gone. You could have five careers. You've had different jobs. Like none of that applies anymore. Get a job, but like the, the one thing that has a time limit on it for women is your fertility. Everything else can just be, you know, done later or whatever. Like, I'm not suggesting you have a kid when you're 16, but like there needs to be a kind of some kind of like shift in, you know, and I certainly was one of them. Like, obviously, my life changed and, and I met Keith and he's old, like 10 years older than me. And he wanted to have children. And like, so that kind of changed the whole dynamic for me. But I used to be one of those women who was like, oh, I'll have a kid when I'm 40. Mm -hmm. It work like that. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. There's a, there's a whole wider conversation to be had there about the, 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 the culture as well. Because I think one of the things that happened is that you know, there was a time in my parents' generation where you met somebody, you got married, and you, like, the, the whole taboo around sex before marriage, one of the things it did was, because people are, I'm not talking about my parents, but <laughs> people are obviously, <laughs> kind of like, like, you know, it, it provides an incentive to get married, right? Uh, when yeah. you're younger, like it's a, you weren't getting like a, it. You were, weren't going to have sex unless you got married. Yeah, yeah. it's an all-access pass, uh, which is now yeah. no longer required, which which sort of disincentivizes people from getting married as well. That's a, that's a cultural factor of their careers. There's a whole conversation to be had here, but we've kind of gone over an hour, so we'll have to leave it. You are heading off, I believe. Um, I won't say where unless you want to, but I think you're heading off for a couple of weeks, aren't you, on holidays? Uh, yeah, Greece. Um, You'd I... be cooked. No wonder you're anxious about the climate. I know, yeah. Um, no, I've, I I have it because we go there. We, you know, my aunties live there, and I we've been going to the same place my whole life. I actually have it on my phone. You know, on my weather app. It's set mm. to be to show me Dublin and uh, this place in Crete. So it's yeah, I've looked it up. Like it's thirty five. Do you mean it's not? Um, You'll survive. Anyway, for 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 the it's listeners, not anything so different from the normal. For the listeners, Sarah, Sarah may or may not be here for the next couple of weeks. So if you, you might join us to provide a Greek update at some stage, but if if not, it'll be me plus guests. Um, although I'm I'm actually off um, somewhere for the next week, but I might be able to manage doing this show. But I think we'll leave it there. It's been great chatting to you as ever, Sarah. Um, sorry, no guest this week. We may have, um, well, we definitely have replacements for Sarah if she's on holidays. So we will be back as ever next week and the week after that and the week after that until you're sick of us and stop listening. Thanks everyone for tuning in from Sarah and from me. That was another edition of the week that really was. <laughs>